Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write. Because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Are you tired of conjuring up fresh ways to describe a gaze, smile, or sigh in your fiction? Then you'll love the Energize Your Writing Toolkit, Cheat Sheets for Character Emotions, a 100-page printable toolkit jam-packed with more than 4,000 emotional phrases arranged into easy-to-digest lists. The toolkit was created by my friend Stacy Juba, a fiction author, freelance editor, and the founder of Shortcuts for Writers. However, this isn't just a collection of phrases. It's a system for transforming your approach to showing character emotions. Part reference book and part workbook, this system will grow with you throughout your writing journey. This toolkit includes a nonverbal communication overview, walkthrough video, workbook, cheat sheet on 10 hacks to creating characters that jump off the page, and exciting bonuses. The PDF is a resource you'll pull out again and again. Having the right tool can get the words flowing and help you to write stronger scenes faster. Get the Energize Your Writing Toolkit today. Link in the show notes. Meet Marlo. Marlo is an artificial intelligence that helps authors improve their novels and long-form fiction. She was born in January 2020 as a creative child's of Matthew Jockers, PhD, co-author of The Bestseller Code, abetted by a surrounding cast of best-selling authors who have been contributing ideas and enhancements to her reports. She's fast, she's inexpensive, she doesn't play favorites, and she knows what goes into a good story. And today we have with us Alessandra Torre to tell us more about this ingenious invention. All right, welcome back to Pencils and Lipstick. As you can tell, I'm already laughing because I have with me Alessandra Torre. Um, we had her on on episode 125. So if you want to hear about how she got into writing, um, you can go to episode 125. But Alessandra is here to talk to us about this cool new thing that she has invented for us writers. So welcome, Alessandra, to back to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and so excited to talk about Marlo. I want to put a huge disclaimer out that I did not invent this. Um, uh, we, uh, the team of Authors AI, which I, I lead the team there, um, <laughs> but I lead it very much in a um, just management way, uh, is uh, we have an artificial intelligence called Marlo. And she uh, she does a lot of cool things. But right now, what she's mainly doing for authors is that she can read a manuscript and then give um, give feedback in just a few minutes. So um, she's going to do more than that? Yeah. She's oh my God. really exciting coming next few months. I'm actually okay. really, actually really cool. Um, I'll, be, I'll be able to talk a little bit about it. But um, well, it's for, already yeah. enough. Like it's really... Uh-huh. 
I think I got back from my family vacation thing we do in summertime. I opened up one of your emails and was like, what is this? <laughs> and so we started talking about it in the writing group. And we're like, let's try this out. Who has a manuscript? And so we pushed it up. And it was like, it was so fast. The data was just jaw dropping. So I immediately emailed you and was like, can you come on and tell us about this? <laughs> um, yeah. So tell us a little bit um, how you guys came up with it, I guess, over at Authors AI, and then um, and then we'll go into what it does and why I was so amazed with it and why I'm so excited about it. I was Probably everyone I else have a book, but I don't. Um, so the gist of Marlowe. So first of all, Marlowe's uh, is born from a technology that was first written about in two about four or five years ago in a book called The Bestseller Code. So in The Bestseller Code, two Harvard um, data scientist basically dove into bestsellers and trying to understand what made a bestseller different from a normal book. And what they okay. considered a bestseller was a book that had been on the New York Times list for 10 weeks or long. Wow. Okay, okay. So not just like a splash in the pan. And it's only fiction, right? It was like focused on fiction. So um, so they developed, um, so they basically studied these books, not from a tech technical standpoint, like from an AI standpoint, okay. to try to understand, you know, what made up these books. And um, the book is actually really fascinating. It's a nonfiction book, but it breaks down, you know, what um, it's it's just, there are little things like you can tell whether an author is British or English based on how many times they use the word the in a book. Really? Um, yeah. So there's a ton of like really interesting things. Um, it's, you're more likely to uh, have a bestseller if it has, um, a title that has um, like the character, like um, ignore that. Cause I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say it correctly <laughs> and I don't want to throw somebody off right. and have them run out and retitle their book. Um, but anyways, it's, it, it really is a really fascinating book. So that okay. technology, then we basically, um, our co-founder is Matt, Dr. Matt Jockers, who is the co-author of that book. And so that technology has been revamped for today's fiction market to take into account indie um, indie authors and indie hits. And um, But look at basically Marlowe, who's the technology, is obsessed with bestsellers. So what makes okay. a best-selling novel or what makes a good book versus a a a weaker book. We try not to say mm -hmm. bad book, but a weaker book. Um, so, and the bestsellerometer, which was originally what this AI was called, has been kind of revamped. But also, like initially, when I came on the team, we would have these humongous data reports, and it was like, "This is great, but how is any author or publisher yeah. going to use this information?" Like, so we um, we have a team. We have over 120 authors on the team. Okay. Um, that initially invested in the project. And so um, they're not they're not involved in the day-to-day, -day, but what they were involved in is we would take a, an early version of the report and send it to them and say, how, how can we make this better? How can we make this more helpful? Um, and what things would you like? So there was a while where we were continually adding. Someone's like, oh, I want to see dialogue breakdown in a book. You know, what's a bestseller ratio of dialogue versus my book. So there are a lot of different things that we added as we went and, and features we removed that weren't helpful. Um, but okay. now today, the Marlowe 2.0 report, I think it's 32 pages long. Um, yeah. You submit your manuscript and you get back. And it just is basically about looking at your book in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, some authors don't find it useful. Like they they just don't know what really? to do. Yeah, other authors, especially if you 
we have other authors who find it useful and then we have authors that are obsessed with it. So, and it often depends on kind of how much you like data that a lot of times can be the differentiator. Um, but, um, but that, or I guess maybe how you understand what that will do for you. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, have you seen yeah. a breakdown of where those authors are in their career at all? No, uh, whether you okay. don't collect, you don't collect that. Any information. That would be, that would be yeah. curious. Cause I can see myself seven years ago being like, I'm an artiste. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was down there. I definitely went through that phase. <laughs> I don't need your data. That's science. Yeah. How can oh. computer that I hear a lot like a computer can't tell, you know what I mean? Like this needs to be and a one hundred percent she does not replace a human editor. She can tell of you course. the book is slow in the beginning, but she's not gonna give you ideas for how to improve, like, you know, or she can say that your pacing is all over the board, but she's not and she's not grammarly, she's not doing a line by line, like um, you know, edit. So she's not gonna replace that that type of editor. Um, but we definitely, I, I definitely get a fair amount of skepticism. And I also have right. authors who like hate the idea of AI and writing, which I, it was funny. We don't use this term anymore, but when we started the company, it was like AI for good, not evil, like in terms of the writing, because there is some scary things happening with AI in terms of writing scenes, in terms of writing books. Um, and, or, um, or rewriting books, you know, um, that other authors. So we don't do any of that. Um, but the only thing Marla's used for is basically just, um, reading a book and understanding everything there is to know about that book and then presenting that information in different ways to the author or to a publisher to a read. I mean, I would rather have Marlo who has, no feelings and can't <laughs> yell at me. Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> and if you don't take her suggestions. <laughs> yes. Right. And before I go to an editor, right? So if I, if as, as much as, you know, you're, you're done with your manuscript and you really think, we always think that it's going to be pretty yeah. okay. Right. But I mean, what I found really useful and, um, and I haven't, I don't have like a working manuscript that I can like throw, I just, you know, use half of what I have. Um, but already it was like pacing. That's key. Like if your beginning is slow, chances of somebody putting that book down is really high, which we don't want. Right. So then you have no. to, like you said, Marlo can't give you suggestions. So then you have to sort of think, okay, how could I change that? Or maybe go get some human advice. But I also thought like the um, the passive and the extra, the words that you use so many times or the phrases because yeah. pro writing aid doesn't find those phrases. You think, okay, because we get in these writing slumps, we're just writing. Yeah. And then you don't realize how many times you use this phrase or this word because you just couldn't, you know, in that moment, find a replacement. That's key. I mean, you go into word, you search for it, you kind of find a new adverb or adjective, you know, and easy. Right. And it was like, I don't know. I find it easier than going slogging through pro writing aid, Mm -hmm. (laughs) finding that. (laughs) Especially if you have a really long. Yeah. So the two, um, some of my two favorite features, one is is frequently used, like we call it crutch phrases or things like that, but things that you might use over and over again. And this is oftentimes how we can tell if one author is writing under a pen name, um, 
we've discovered like on really? our back end, right? Like when we're looking at, we're like, oh, there's it. There's definitely a chance that this famous author and this famous author are the same. Are the same author? author? Right, That's yeah. But, <laughs> our catchphrases will often give them away. Um, there are a lot that are commonly used. A lot of right. us like our characters, not a lot, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> or you know, um, but but it will identify groups of words that you use kind of a lot uh, or a lot more than a normal author. The yeah. other thing that's my favorite is the cliche finder. Um, yes. So that, and it was funny because Matt, Dr. Matt Jockers, who is Marlo's dad, for lack of a better term, um, he was like, send me some cliche. You know, I like, it is so hard to think of a cliche, like when you're it not is. writing, right? <laughs> I think I said I'm like 30. And he was like, oh, okay. He's like, well, we already have 1600 in the database. And so it's so funny. Like I, it's, it's so even just writing an article, I was trying to think of like a cliche to use as an example. Right. Um, and, and it was tough, but she's got a huge cliche library. Now, sometimes cliches are used in dialogue mm-hmm. and that, and that's okay. Cause we do use cliches in dialogue. So, um, but it does help to know that if you said something like beat around the bush three times in your book, like probably could remove some or all of those, you right. know, depending on where they're at. So that's my other favorite thing that I, I like to look at is the cliche. Yeah. And I think it makes the author realize what decisions can be, um, can can be consciously made. Yeah. So, you know, like if you have a character saying something over and over again for a reason, well, then then you know that that it's working perfectly. But as I tell like people who I go over their manuscripts, just be sure that this is a decision made by you consciously as yeah. <laughs> the artist of this work and not just like, you know, so then you can defend it. If a reader says, she said beat around the bush 500 times, you're like, well, that's because this person's from this place. And that's how they, t-. you know, at least you have a reason. You don't just feel like, oh, I did. Oops. <laughs> like, yeah, you can break rules as long as you know you're breaking them. Right. And it's a conscious decision and you're doing it for a reason. Like it, right. what's hard is when a new author is breaking rules right and left and they have no idea. Um, right. So. Absolutely. So this did this just launched this year then? Yeah, well, actually, um, my, my timeline is all run together. You've been so busy. So. We, we actually want we launched right when COVID hit because I remember oh, it was like, gosh. we were like, Oh, there's this thing people are talking about. And you know, like, should we pause? And we we're like, oh, it'll blow over. Two weeks. Over. We got it. Right. Like, <laughs> I remember we were like, oh, crap, we have to jump on this before people start like going back to work. We didn't realize like that wasn't going to happen next week. Right. Um, so we've act- it actually has been a couple of years um, since it's been out. We came out with Marlo 2.0 last year, which was um, that is when it then took the report and it um, added in the comparisons for bestsellers and it added in oh, right. um, comps, uh, bestseller comps. Now, if you are an author and you run your manuscript through, so first authors.ai is the website. If you run your uh, manuscript through and the comps seem not accurate, it is taken from a, a corpus, what we call corpus of just 250 bestselling novels. So it was just us trying to find kind of a variety of genres and a variety, but there are certain genres that don't have a ton of books other you know if it's a smaller right. genre other books do so um it's not and what does that do exactly writing. how does it compare them so um so when marla reads a book she knows 
every page and every scene instantly, right? So then she um, then she can compare. And this is one of the things when I was like, oh, she does a bunch of stuff. One thing really cool is coming soon. So what's coming, what's cool is coming soon is that when she reads a book, she can then look through her database of books and say, okay, what books are the most similar to this book in terms of different things? It could be writing style. It could be subject matter. But if someone's like, um, I love the Da Vinci Code. Okay, why did you love the Da Vinci Code? And that's the hardest thing that we have had to try to figure out on our side is like, why, why do readers love right. books? Like, what is it that they love about the Da Vinci Code? Is it the you know, archaeology stuff? Is it the history? Is it the pacing? Is it the scenes? Is it the characters? Like, what is it? Right. So when we're trying to say, okay, what book is most similar to the Da Vinci Code? What should we wait? Because Marlo knows Okay. everything. She knows the character's personalities. She knows the amount of dialogue. She knows the type of words used. She knows, you know, the subjects used, the emotions. So we've created like different recipes, you know. Okay. So um, one is um, like, uh, so on a Marlowe report, your book will be compared to um, different books in a variety of ways, right? So it'll show the most, com- the most similar books based on um, like what we, like five different things, which is like tone, character agency, which is how characters are used in the book, um, writing style. Um, I don't know. There's there's two more. <laughs> I really shouldn't know these. Um, but we've we've done so many different combinations hard. Um, and then other times it'll be just just writing style. You can see who okay. or just subject matter. You can see kind of what it's closest to. So there are a couple of different ways. And then it also shows how close or how similar you are to those books. Because you might be like, yeah, that doesn't, that seems like a stretch. Well, that book was like the furthest out of the five. Um, okay. But what we're doing soon is you'll be able to see your book with like a huge database. And then it gets really, really precise. Like the differences between like this most similar and the least similar is, you know. But that's amazing for marketing because... I mean, it, exactly. I always get stumped on the, if you like this, suggest your book. And I'm like, oh, I have no like, idea. Like, what we think <laughs> our books are similar to, you yes. know, and then, or they're what we want our books to be right. similar to, and then it's not. But it's also kind of interesting because that was another, so we're we're looking at it from the reader side, right? Like, yes. us, and but there's also like, a reader's like, God, I love Gone Girl. I want another book like Gone Girl. Well. A gazillion marketing books or a gazillion marketing ads for books is going to tell you that this book is the next Gone Girl or the next Fifty Shades right. of Grey, right? And right. anyone can say that. Anybody can say, if you love Fifty Shades of Grey, you're going to love this book. But is there's no guarantee that that book is anything like Fifty Shades of Grey, right? Um, so, or it might be really like it on the sexual scale, but in terms of plot and pacing and characters it's nothing like it you know so um so from the reader side we've been like creating these different combinations and that's where i think it's going to be really cool because it might cause the book if if a reader is like what are the five most similar books to i don't know like the forgotten road um it might pull up back books that were published 10 years ago you know, mm-hmm. that maybe never found fame, you know, um, or they were hits and then they were forgotten. So it's in, so that's what we're trying to think. Do readers want if they look at writing style and they want the writing style of John Grisham, do they also want it to be a legal thriller or, or legal you right. know, book? Wow. We just want 
the closest writer that writes like John Grisham and they and they're open to different genres. Like it's it's like we could geek out on it. Like we do geek out on it all the time. <laughs> like it's why sometimes our meetings last hours because it's it's so interesting. And I think the answer is filters. Like the answer is just yeah. us not guessing and just letting authors or readers put filters on. They say, I only want to see books in the last five years. Or I only want to see books altered by this author. Or I only want to see books that were bestsellers. Or I only want to see, you know, sci-fi, apocalyptic thriller. Right, right. I mean, I can see how this could be used for so many things. Like first, I, as a reader, it is frustrating to like, I want this other book. How do I go find that? But as a writer, like you have marketing. If you ever want to collaborate with another author, like, oh, oh real books are similar. Yeah. Let's go get that a is stand really, somewhere. We haven't even thought about that. I'm going to tell the team that. <laughs> write this down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what if you want to co-write? Um, yeah. You know, I'm starting to go out and do different fairs and stuff. It would be so fun to, you know, do a signing. I bet you could do a whole lot more at a local bookstore if you brought three other authors uh-huh. than if it's just you. I mean, that's just, oh, we can use all. Oh, come on, writers. <laughs> we need to use this stuff. <laughs> I I never but thought that I could her, geek out, but <laughs> the cool thing is, so there are two sides of her. She can tell how good a book is and she can also okay. tell like everything about it in terms of DNA. So when, so we could also pair the two, like that was, that's the other question. Okay. A reader really loves, and I'm going to use one of my own books. So I'm not talking crap about anybody else. A reader really loves the ghostwriter. Let's say that the ghostwriter, and it's entirely possible it is, is the crappiest book ever written on the planet, right? But a reader loves this, right? And they want books like The Ghostwriter. So do we recommend other crappy books? Like, or do (laughs) we recommend a book that is written in a similar style, same subject, but it's a good book? Like, like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And so many questions. put a crappy book check box, like on, you (laughs) know, (laughs) but that's that's like our conversations like should we put a quality filter like should we only recommend books that are a certain level of quality but where this is also publishers like publishers have no idea what their backlist is i mean right like once those editors leave whatever i mean so and also acquisitions if they have a thousand books like sitting in their slush pile can, and they can rank them by quality yeah. you know that can save they could go so much faster. Be, yeah. Or they know like, oh, we just had a huge hit in, you know, I don't know, The Devil Wears Prada or Harry Potter. What else is in our backlist that's most similar to that yeah. so that we can market those things on a bookshelf? or bookshelf, Yeah, within 15 minutes. And, and like you said, they can rank it in so many different ways. And it's interesting to me how little traditional publishers understand the market too whenever you get the like actually questioning them i listen to interviews and they're like we don't actually know why people like this book you're like what well and it's not necessarily the problem like why do people like certain like i it's it's in the trends what happens yeah like why do why do why do people love the silent patient like what is it about that book like is it the setting is it the plot twist like what and it's really hard to define a plot twist that that's something it's that's hard true. for Marlo to say like, Oh, this is a plot twist. Like she can tell something just happened, you know, but it's mm-hmm. hard for her to know like the impact of that plot twist because she's right. not, yeah. 
Oh, that's interesting. I think this is actually going to help both traditionally and um, indie published authors. Like it, it's not going to affect the art of, you know, and like yeah. you said, we have that whole other AI problem, you know, where they're like, and maybe it's a great thing. I don't know. It just freaks I don't know. Out. It, it just, does freak everyone out. Yeah. Like you can't. A computer can't write a book. <laughs> and yeah. Then you're like, yeah. Well, I hope not. Please. Anyway, do not let a computer write a book. Because if so, then all of our jobs are gone. I know. Like, we're all gone. Our like, dreams are dashed. But this will help us go faster, right? I mean, it will help developmental editors go through more people. It will help publishing houses go faster and get back to you and understand why they're getting, you know, yeah. saying what they're saying. Um, I think it could open up reasons to publish more people and even maybe more different categories and like right. understanding our categories. Like, yeah. <laughs> what genre is women's fiction? Nobody knows. Like, Nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> it has a woman in it. Somewhere. <laughs> on the cover. Yeah. Yes. The, these things that we, these conversations That's we have so in the interview. Women's fiction is like that one, like that big gray area. Yes. And does it have to be written by women? Woman? Does it know? Yeah, we don't know. Point. Everyone has an opinion. There was a big Twitter argument. Oh, about was it there? Yeah. A couple of weeks ago. And I was like, okay. Oh, I missed that. I, I don't know what to say. Down for the most part, so I've, I'm still out of the loop on things. Yes, I like to read and not respond because I don't know. Um, well, I was thinking um, if you could show us a little bit about Marlo. Absolutely. For anyone who wants to just listen, we'll continue talking and telling you what we see. Um, and then, yeah. if you want to see I'll the video do my best as well, to um, narrate what we're looking at. Yeah, and of course, people can see a lot of this over at Authors.ai, right? Like that's. <laughs> There's a different, there's yeah, lots of information me, over there. Yeah. And let me, um, oh, drop just a second. Wait a minute. Let me, um, let me show you how I, let me start from the, in case you want to see a Marlowe Pro report without purchasing one. Um, so this is our homepage. And if you go, um, we really should put a, um, yeah, here it is. Okay, great. Um, so just, just. So people understand the pricing. Um, mm -hmm. you, could, or you can run Marlowe for free on your manuscript as much as you want. It's the Marlowe basic report. It still has actually a lot of really cool things. I get emails all the time of people who are shocked that it is free and they tell me it shouldn't be, which is so funny that they find the time to, to email me that. But um, but it really is a great report. Um, mm -hmm. So anyone can, if you, if you aren't sure... Just from looking at the basic report, you'll get the sense that Marlo is very kind. She's not she's not critical. Um, and then if you like the pro report, you can either just purchase a one-time report or you can buy a plan. If plans are much cheaper, we have monthly and annual plans, um, but but it's up to you what you prefer. But if you scroll down that homepage, you can view um, her analysis of the Da Vinci Code, um, which was a book we had thought a lot of people would be familiar with at least from the movie, if not the book. So mm -hmm. right now on my screen, you can see a preview of it. Um, this is just an introductory page. I'll try not to. Um, but uh, once you, from the very beginning, you'll start seeing how she's laying out your book. Um, so here you can see kind of your plot and storyline. This is the Da Vinci Code in this purple. And then it shows um, the most common archetype that's closest to it. So we've we have identified seven main types of stories um okay. and there's a link at the bottom where you can see all of those it's like 
man in the middle, uh, a tragedy, you know, a journey, things like that. So the Da Vinci Code is most similar to Emergence. So it'll it'll plot your book next to whatever it's most similar to. And then in the next chart, it plots the twists and turns in your book. So this is her wow. attempt at identifying plot twists. But um, normally there's like a big plot twist, but um, it's so it's not referring to that. It's basically moments where the book has changed significantly. Um, okay. And then she tr- plots it next to the book that is most similar to it out of our bestseller corpus. So the Da Vinci Code was most similar in terms of um, conflict and resolution plot turns to 92 in the Shade, which is a book I'm not familiar with, but apparently it was a big book if it was in our, if it's in our corpus. Um, then she goes into like narrative beats. I won't bore you with all of these because there's 34 pages apparently, but, um, but here it just breaks down like, um, a, a bestseller typically has something happening every 10% of the book. Okay. Every 10% of the book, there is a moment where something changes in the book. So, um, actually the Vinci code here is actually pretty far spaced out, especially in the second half. Um, but you can see the percentages where your book has um has that happening yeah and that's just to keep the reader interested right like this is where if you review manuscripts you're like there it just (laughs) slows down you know like nothing's actually happening and that can happen right we get we get wrapped up in our character like and then he goes for coffee and then he's driving (laughs) his car you know (laughs) and the reader doesn't actually care yeah you know it's been twenty thousand words and nothing really has happened right right so, um, exactly. And then it, it plots high points and low point in pacing. And really, you just want to make sure that you have variety that you're, right. um, and, and it, and it gives a lot of information. It's not just a graph. If no, if you aren't watching it, it's like breaking it down on, on what this is, what is pacing. It has a lot of information there for and how to improve it, like tips to improve it. And that was kind of when we first got this from the dev- from the data scientist. It was like a bunch of charts. And it was like, how on earth is anyone going to use this? So that's when we went in and added kind of all of the information. Um, so there's a breakdown of your character's personality traits. Oh, that's um, cool. That'll make sure you don't make the same character every time. <laughs> right. That's, um, and, uh, and newer authors, it's funny, each of these, Langdon, Silas, and Sophie all had, um, were very perceptive, but that's true. They were all very perceptive. Um, where teething, I don't know who that is. Um, it's been so long since I read it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Was different. Um, and so then it breaks down your dialogue. Bestsellers have 25 to 35% of their book on average is dialogue. So Da Vinci Code is 30%. Um, and then it breaks down, it looks like a bar graph, but it breaks down where in your book that dialogue occurs. So you can see like, oh, the first half of my book is super heavy dialogue. And then the back half was, you know, light or or if you're heavy, there's always some outliner liars, but, um, so there's always a book that maybe has no dialogue and it was still a bestseller, but. Well, because it it kind of broke the rules, right? right. But (laughs) for a lot of us, like we said before, it. If you just want to keep writing stories, I mean, I, I know we all don't want like a template for your book, but the fact is like people like white space when they're reading and dialogue brings white space. And it's a lot easier to like have them 
the characters say something yeah. so that you're not just like telling, telling your- them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it breaks up the way that 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 you're communicating the information. Right. Um, then it just goes through the like the basic Ooh, emotions, emotions in your book. Yeah. So do you have a lot of fear? You know, um, is it mostly joy? So like, you know, romantic comedies, you'll see a lot more in trust and joy, um, you know, where darker books you'll see this. Um, the Da Vinci Code, for those who can't see it, is a pretty even mix, which is yes. uh, which is nice. And most of the bestsellers we see, it's a pr- pretty even mix. Um, but uh, trust is a big thing. And um, and it's funny, joy and fear. So but that. Um, I guess that's that going back and forth, right? Right, exactly, up and down. And it's interesting. So on the right side of this page is um, where it breaks down the nuances, because sometimes people are like, well, you know, um, like, um, sorry, like, you know, I don't think it has a lot of trust, but trust can also be identified by Marlowe as friendship as sharing or as understanding mm. so yeah like, there's a lot of different ways but th- these are the major emotions that we broke down and um and grouped different things into um and then it goes into major subjects this is oftentimes where the co- uh, comps are pulled from um books that have similar these major subjects and um, this is what we, it, she also identifies explicit language. So how many times bad words are used? Again, she's not judging your use of those words, but just so you're aware of it, you know, right. um, to make sure that you, you know, Da Vinci Code has very little profanity. Hell is the most common bad word, which I'm not surprised at given the subject matter. Yeah, that's um, true. <laughs> but then I also love seeing um, on the right side, what, I call the sexuality filter. Um, so, or it's, I'm sorry, I'm saying filter because we use it as a filter sometimes, but um, it's how sexy your book is. And this is not exciting to look at for the Da Vinci Code because there is no sex at all. There's, uh, there's <laughs> <Like> 1.8% <laughs> of suggestive, which is basically like a kissing or a romantic right. look or something, a romantic thought. Um, but for the most part, but where this is more interesting is when we're looking at romance novels and comparing mm-hmm. Um, romance novels to each other and seeing their sexual content. Right. Because you don't want to compare your book if it's steamy to something clean. Because a lot of times yeah. you're just going through Amazon like, oh, what? maybe it's like that one, you know. Oh, no. and nowadays Amazon is so strict on our covers and the Ooh. work in our description and things like that. That it, what it means is that everything has been kind of vanilla down in terms of metadata and marketing. And it makes it really hard for the reader to have any idea what yeah. a book is actually like until they purchase it and they're in it. Um, so I feel really bad. I feel really, really bad for clean readers. And I feel, I don't feel as bad for sexy readers because they have a lot to choose from and they have ways to find out um, sexual content, but it, it is harder for clean readers. Um, and so then the possible cliches. So like for this uh, bump in the road, flat out, joined at the hip, um, and um pass he was on, pretty careful there that are yeah it really very few but i'm not surprised i mean he's a he's a great sleep like a baby poker face but and i mean this is an edited book right right and i i just think that this is great we're looking at possible cliches and then repetitive phrases like this is gold for before you send it to your editor so that you don't pay them to tell you this you know and you can go and fix it and i love these 
Because, yeah, you, you write out cliches, you know, slept like a baby or whatever. And then you can go and change it or not change it. But at least you know that it's there. But these repetitive phrases as well, I think they're great. I mean, he wrote one of the like 47 <laughs> times. Like, okay, why did I use that? Is it is it worth, you know, that I can is go into worth- Scrivener? And a lot of them, I don't, a lot of them I look at and I'm like, oh, okay, these are prepositions or, you know, something, Mm -hmm. you know, it's probably, um, but like had no idea 15 times that probably doesn't need to be done. You know, like I, I really can't see saying had no idea more than three times, you know, there are other ways. (laughs) Um, and behind it. So, um, the blue that's behind it is how Uh often, um, bestsellers used it so every blue dot which you know you can't tell but these are all the blue shading is a bunch of different dots or is a bestseller in our corpus so you can see when you go back to possible cliches like joined at the hip a lot of that right and some of them used it like five times in their book some of them used it almost 10 times in their book right Um, so that's um so that's always interesting to me or like one of the like he used one of the a lot of bestsellers use that and he's a little heavy compared to some of them but there are um he's not alone like he has a lot right and it kind of gives you an idea of like is this just kind of how we're talking and writing right Right. now you know and again just making the decision to say no I think that it's pretty much needed and Mm -hmm. I just love the searchability of this I can go and find one of the in my document and then just sort of see what's around it and then decide. I mean, he says the Mona Lisa, well, obviously it's the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> so right, so right. As a writer, like, you can be like, needed. Oh, yeah, we kind of <laughs> have to say, you know, name the, the portrait or whatever. It's so like, okay. You know, but again, it's just, Marla's just a computer t- letting you know, here you go. <laughs> then, we'll, then you can make the decision on it. And we do, it's like number of occurrences for every hundred thousand words. So it is taken into account. Oh, wow. Um, okay. One one length of a book versus another. Sure. Um, so, um, and then it goes, then the report kind of goes into more of the Grammarly type things. I've seen some okay. stats and readability scores in so many different places um, and so many different tools. So that's not that unique. Um, frequent adverbs and ad- adjectives usage. Again, this is also something that you see in a lot of other tools. So it's not... But you don't see that how many other books are using it. I think that's yeah, that's, that's pretty point. awesome. That blur behind it of like, it it helps me think. You know, okay, this might be a word that is actually quite needed. Maybe mm-hmm. I shouldn't go and just change all of them and then have it <laughs> read wonky to the reader. You know. Yeah, and it is interesting on punctuation data. I always look at um, open quotes and closed quotes. Yeah. Like um just to make sure that they're even. Oh my gosh, I can't get this thing to for the Da Vinci code, like he had three thousand six hundred and twenty-seven cl- open one of them, and the other is thirty-six seventeen. So it, does that mean there's ten places in the manuscript where he didn't close, where he didn't close the quotes? Like that seems crazy. Um just like I'm trying to that is interesting. I mean, especially if grammar's not if you're if it's not your strength, yeah. you know, just knowing that you're going to have to or just letting your editor know, yeah, you might have to go find some commas. Apparently, I have zero. <laughs> um, oh, possible have misspellings. Possible misspellings. He's done really well. And some of these, a lot of times, her dictionary is not fantastic. So like right. fine tone, 
it's a word. Um, you know, but in a lot of times foreign words are not there. Right. He has friendship things. But I definitely make up words sometimes. Um, I've found that that don't exist or I misspelled them. Um, and so then it moves into comp. So like um here you can see the distance, the the books or the balls, the blue balls that are closer okay. to the um subject book, which is in um purple, is um the closer they are, the more similar, where the further they are the more okay. outside. Um, so it does subject matter and then it does linguistic style and your voice. So that's more like the writing style. Um, and these are pretty cut and dry. I think they're only looking at subject matter and they're only looking at um, writing style where like okay. our, our comps that we would do for a reader, um, linguistic style, we also take into account a lot of other things, um, you know, to give it more of a recipe. Um, so it's not straight, straight writing stuff. So. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you said, like, how do you compare this final page is um, that's where it really does a better job of breaking down. So like um, it's comparing Da Vinci Code to Deception Point by Dan Brown. And you okay. can see in terms of subjects in the book, like what we would oftentimes call genre because we don't have right. another way of saying it. Um, it is um, it is not similar. So the closer to the outside, the more similar. So subject oh, okay. is the least similar, um, but the writing style is is very similar. The way the characters, the things that the characters do in their book, because it it is like a thriller. Da Vinci Code is like a thriller. So right. that, um, that's more similar. The mood of the book and the tone of the book. Um, where other things like Digital Fortress, which is also a Dan Brown book, the mood is not at all like it, but the other things are more more like it. So it's interesting. Um, yeah, so it's interesting. You can just see your book next to some some hopefully books that you've recognized or have read, and you can kind of see whether your style, mood, or or characters are kind of doing this right. And this is what you're also going to offer to readers or you do offer already to readers for them to find. We don't do book. a thing. Well, so um, Marlo's future home will be on bingebooks.com. Um, so um, bingebooks right now, readers can go, they can browse books, they can add them to their shelves, things like that. But um, in the future, Marlo, like they'll be able to click on a book and they'll be able to see the closest comp nice. by style or by subject. Um, and uh, in the future, future, they'll be able to, uh, Marla will be able to say like, oh, you like these three books or these thousand books. And she can actually find similarities between all of the books that you like and then give you personalized recommendations. Like these are the oh, 10 wow. or 20 or 100 books ranked most likely. And, and that is really cool because that's just not book to book. That's when she's saying, okay, when I look at all these, they all have character strong female characters right mm -hmm. plus high action plus low sexuality or whatever that like you, she can kind of determine your own personal right. preferences um and that's that's going to be really cool so yeah um, I think that's going to be great for authors as well because you might be a little more obscure yeah but if you write like something else that reader you'll be able to find that reader that reader but will be someone, able to find you you're 100 percent, yeah and indies will be able to upload their books into the recommendation engine um, we'll have publisher books in the recommendation engine. And so, yeah, it's the same there. She is not um, influenced by anything other than mm -hmm. the content of the book. So she's not influenced by ad spend. She's not influenced by marketing. 
or by, you know, a book success, that's when we're like, you know, we could potentially add filters, a KU filter, you know, or a, um, you know, bestseller filter or, you know, or average customer reviews. But initially, at least it will be just, you know, um, just book to book recommendations um, using the the story. So we're really excited by that. Yeah, I'm very excited about this. So where can people find it's authors.ai? They can pretty much find all the information there. Yeah. Um yeah, about they it. can run a free report. You can check out the pro report. You can sign up for our, our mailing list. Um yeah, so it's authors.ai. Okay. And that and if you want, if you're an author and you're listening, um if you go to benchbooks.com, there's also a place you can sign up as an author. We'll import all your books. And um, and then you can kind of claim that profile and we might already have your books um, and then it will claim claim that profile. Perfect. Well, I'm very excited about this. I I know that AI can sound a little scary, especially <laughs> if we watch sci fi movies, but, you know, using it to our advantage and using it to help us, especially most indie authors are all by themselves doing yeah. all the things. So finding a way to use this wonderful technology is, I think, very exciting. So I'm Congratulations to all you guys over at Author AI. Oh, thank you. Um, And thank you for coming on and telling us about Marlo. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I always love talking about Marlo and books, so it's, it's been fantastic to be on. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.